Making love in the alleyway, she adds a mark to her spotted skin. Losing track of the days, already lost hope that it'll end. Confused, she questions everything, her heart still on the shelf. The love she's making isn't creating anything but hate for herself. Every trial she faces leads her to the same places. Her hometown shame always welcomes her just the same. The warming numbness of pain and the restless racing of the brain, she can't erase this and can't face a foe that's faceless. Depth seems shallow when it's fully exposed, yet she still feels hidden behind her lack of clothes. They tell her they have love to give, which she longs to accrue, but they can't give what they don't have, so her idea of love is askew. She was told it's red, but all she's been given is dark blue. She was told it's unconditional, but it always leaves once the moment is through. Since she's stained with bad decisions, pure white seems unattainable. So she finds herself living with a soul unascertainable. She feels separated from the Father and that of change she's incapable because nobody ever told her the truth. God's love is inescapable. So she runs and she hides out of fear of being found, convinced she's a fox running swiftly from the hounds. She believes God made each person unique, some poets, some kings, some beggars, and in between, but that her fate is futile and her purpose is the runt, that her whole life has been one prolonged hunt. But instead of being the hunter, she's the huntee searching for anything in life to give her some relief. Ironically, she has enslaved herself to feeling free, and the God that is chasing her is doing so to cease these chains that have bound her. He's already found her, but her misguided belief that completely surrounds her will keep her from Jesus, the high priest and peace expounder. She'll run into ruin while love was pursuing her every hour. There's grace. But she missed it because of fear and the shame that rattled her brain for all of those years. His face, so glorious and bright, was completely undiscovered because of her contrite. If only she knew that she was oh so close, that the recognition of her flaws is what draws the Holy Ghost. If only she knew the weight of sorrow could have been dropped in the presence of mercy that lives at the foot of the cross. If only she knew. Welcome to Pedestal. Today we have a great message on uh, shame and something that has eaten me up for the majority of my life so far, especially the majority of my Christian walk, that I've allowed the enemy to just eat me alive with shame. And so I I pray and hope that this this message is powerful to you and speaks to you in a mighty way. Um, Welcome to Pedestal for all those who are just hearing and tuning in for the first time. Pedestal is a community of people who understand that though each human is a beautifully crafted piece of art, we are not the greatest artwork in the museum. In fact, our cracks and fractures are not even worthy of display, yet we are still valuable. Our value, however, is found in elevating the perfect artwork 
in order to glorify the master artist, our creator. So we live our life and serve as the pedestal, elevating Jesus above all things. So yeah, welcome. Have y'all ever found yourself in a moment of just absolute dire shame where you feel like you have just hit the bottom of the barrel? Like you are the scum of the earth, that you are absolute nothing, that the God of the universe, if there is one, that there's no way that he could love you. There's no way that he is going to show you grace or mercy. There's no way because you're just that bad, right? That, that he's forgiven you enough and there's no way he could anymore. I think that is the battle that we as believers face so often. Um, I think everybody faces this, to be honest, but I think believers and those who are on the about to be there, about to believe, about to put their faith in, I think the enemy tries to attack those people with shame and guilt that says, God can't possibly love you. And I think it's in those moments that the enemy attacks the hardest because once we grasp that it is very true that we are the lowest of the low, that we are nothing, that once we grasp that, yet we also grasp the fact that God, the God of the universe who created us, didn't just create us knowing or hoping that we'll do perfect. And if we don't, then he says good riddance to us but that he pursues after us in life, that no matter how many times we mess up, that God is still chasing after us. And he's waiting for us to just turn around, do a 180, and he's got his arms open and he says, finally. And that 180 doesn't come from, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring myself to God or I'm going to clean myself up. That's not what happens is 180, turning a 180, the... The Greek word for that is we get the word repent. And repenting, all it means is I realize that the path that I'm going on is wrong, that it's darkness, it's leading to destruction and scariness, and it's not right. Like, I hate who I'm becoming. And so to repent, all that means is to do a 180 turn, to recognize where you're going and that it's wrong, and then to turn around 180 degree. And all you got to do is turn, and God's there. It doesn't say turn and start running, and then one day eventually you'll find God. No, it says repent, and He will forgive you. It says just to turn away from that, and He will forgive you, and He will bring you into His fold and empower you. He will give you His Holy Spirit to give you the strength and the ability to actually walk against the stream of the world. Um, swim upstream like the the trout, right? Like that, it, it, it's hard. It's tough to do, but that is where survival is. That is where a life worth living is, is against the stream of society and the stream of the world. And so that's what repentance is. But that is a point for me that it's it, it was probably been the longest battle that I had in my Christian walk is a life where I thought I had to be perfect as a Christian. I thought that being a Christian meant I have to be perfect and have it all together. And I have to show the world that if I'm going to lead them in a faith walk, if I'm going to lead them 
in a life and a relationship with Christ, then I have to reflect a perfect life. And that's so far from the truth. And so I thought that me, you know, still having some anger issues pop up from time to time, even though God worked a huge work in my life, these anger issues that popped up every now and then, I thought that that disqualified me from being able to walk this Christian walk and that I either had to cover it up if I wanted to continue in it or I had to give up completely on this on the faith walk. And then the pornography issue. I struggled with pornography for years um, since probably sixth or seventh grade and for years even at, I rededicated my life or turned my life to Christ for the first time essentially when I was 18 years old and I struggled with pornography for years after that probably up until my mid-20s 25 or so um, but I allowed that to allowed the enemy to believe or I allowed the enemy to tell me, that that disqualified me and that I cannot live a Christian life because I have these struggles. And though it is true that God doesn't want that in our life, He wants us, He wants to clean that up for us, that we don't have to clean it up on our own. That God wants to clean that up for us. He doesn't want that in our life, but it doesn't mean that you are useless. God may put a pause on your ministry, yes. God may tell you to take a step back away from it so that you can just focus on your relationship with Him and not work, worry so much about pouring out into others, but getting poured into by, by the Lord and your uh, accountability partners and, and people who love you and care for you. So that that is very much the truth, but it doesn't mean that you are, that God doesn't want you anymore. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. God his love is inescapable. That no matter how far you go, that God is going to chase you. Like the parable of the sheep, that God will leave, a good shepherd will leave the 99 who that he knows where they are. He will leave them in the open field, trusting that they will stay together to go chase down the one. Because he loves that one so much. He's not playing an odds game or a numbers game that says, well, I'd rather have these 99 than that one. No, he chases down each and every one. And that is a beautiful picture. That is a beautiful truth that we have a God who chases us down and loves us. And and your flaws don't disqualify you. It may, again, put a pause, but God doesn't just throw you to the wayside. He's still chasing after you. And all he asks is for you to recognize the destructive path in front of you and to do a 180. Just turn, just turn around. And he's right there and he's saying, thank you. Because I've been chasing you this whole time. And all you got to do is turn to recognize him. And then he can grab you by the hand and carry you through. Carry you through life that is going to be more difficult. The Christian walk is not more easy. It's not easier to live a Christian life. It's much more difficult because persecution will come, because the enemy will battle that much harder against you. Because if if the enemy can make believers stumble and fall and crumble, then it makes God look less powerful. It makes Christians look like hypocrites, which to an extent we are, right? Like 
We are people who are striving and are preaching about living this life that is pleasing to the Lord, but none of us really ever perfectly please the Lord. And so we are kind of hypocrites, but when we acknowledge our flaws, when we are honest and and real that we are not perfect, that we're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven, and we are real about that and we're open about our struggles, it's in those moments that that the enemy loses his power because it's not us trying to put on a front and put on makeup over some over some uh, over our sins and our blemishes it's being open about that because everybody's struggling with something and like this poem had mentioned that you've got this girl who thinks that just because she's had these struggles and that she's got these spots and these marks and these blemishes that she can never be pure again, which is not the case. Yeah, maybe her flesh can never be pure again, but her soul absolutely can. And I say that because in Galatians 2.20, it says that we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And that is a truth that I hope will stick with you, that Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, that I have died with Christ. My sins and my shame and my wrongdoings have died on the cross with Christ. And so it's no longer I who am living right now. It's no longer me, my sinful self, who is living right now, but it is Christ who lives in me because Christ resurrected from the dead. And so his power is what still lives in me. It's what has resurrected my soul. And it says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it is all about Jesus and it is all about focusing on him and his power and his word and his might. And it's not on us. And so in this poem, it's, it's, it mentions there at the bottom that she was oh so close. If only she knew that she was oh so close, that the recognition of her flaws is what draws the Holy Ghost. We have to humble ourselves, and that's what draws the Lord. Because when we realize I am flawed and I am walking a, a path that leads away from the Lord that is not pleasing to God, but is also leading to destruction and is going to just end it, what is it doing good for me? What is it doing good for the world? It's not doing anything, it's leading to darkness. And recognizing that then we can turn from that and we can say, I don't want to go down that path anymore. And so we turn to 180 and that's where Jesus is. That's where the Holy Ghost enters you. And that the weight of sorrow, it could have been dropped in the presence of mercy that lives at the foot of the cross. Jesus has died for you. He has died for me. Don't let him die in vain. Bring your worries and your shames and your burdens and your sins and your wrongdoings to that foot of the cross and allow those to be crucified with Jesus. And then pray and ask that the Lord will, will, will send His resurrected body, His resurrected spirit into you so that you can then live a resurrected spiritual life.
that you died on the cross with Christ, that your soul died on the cross with Christ, but it's His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, that gives you the strength and power to live another day. That's what I hope. That's what my prayer is. That's what this that's what this poem is about. And so, if only she knew. So, I am saying this to you so that I pray that you know that if you've heard this, then you now know that it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. And so I just pray that you will repent, that you will recognize your faults, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you're somebody who's been walking with the Lord for many years and just keeps struggling with the same things or struggling with something brand new, or whether you're somebody who has never known the Lord intimately, I pray that this is a moment where you say, God doesn't hate me. God loves me. He doesn't want me to continue on this path because it's going to bring injury and hurt and pain to me and destruction to me. And God loves me too much to allow me to go down that. So he's chasing after me and calling out to me. And I just have to be willing to turn a 180, repent, turn away from what I'm doing. And I can't, I can't face the stream of the world on my own. I can't, I can't face my desires on my own. I have to allow Jesus and say, Jesus, please come into me and work in me, empower me so, so that you can give me new desires, so that you can change my desires, so that it's no longer those things that I keep falling back into or I keep running from. But it is whatever is pleasing to you, and it's, it's something that will bring life. Just like any sport, uh, the sport of basketball, right? So basketball was created and it has rules, right? And those rules are not meant to make basketball miserable. They're made to make basketball more fun. If anybody's listening, if, if you have ever played basketball, or really any sport, but I always bring up basketball because it's craziness, it's chaos. If you've played basketball without rules. Like if you ever said, hey, we're not playing any rules. Just do whatever you want. We're just going to play basketball. And most people have played basketball, no rules, right? And if you've done that, you realize, okay, this may be really fun at the beginning. It may be super exciting and like crazy. Like I can pick up the ball and run and elbow Johnny or whatever. Like, and I can just run around in circles, right? And then throw the ball up whenever I want. It's fun at first, But very quickly, it turns a corner. And then somebody elbows you. Somebody pushes you down and you bust your head open. Or always, every time I ever played no rules basketball, a fight broke out. Every single time. Because there's no rules. And so nobody knows what to do. And so you're just doing whatever you want to do. And you're bumping somebody else. And they're bumping you. And they throw a punch. And all of a sudden, there's a brawl. There's a fight that breaks out. So it may start out really fun, but it always ends in hurt and pain and chaos, and it's never worth it. And you you think, man, I wish I would have never even played this, because now I'm just mad. Now I'm angry at the world. I'm angry at so-and-so, and he's mean, and now I'm hurting, and it's whatever, right? And it's craziness. But that's what God has created the Bible for. That's what He has given us these, these desires of of purity. He's given us these desires of love and forgiveness 
but we always run from it and do whatever we want to do. And we try to play the game by our own rules. But if everybody's playing by their own rules, then there's going to be chaos and there's going to be bickering and there's going to be hurt and there's going to be this breaking up. And people all over the world are going to be like, man, I wish I would have never even played this game of life. But if we will submit to the Creator's rules and trust that it's not meant to restrict fun, but it is meant to amplify the game and make it that much more beautiful and exciting. If we can do that, then I think that is, that is the moment where we will see true growth. Humble yourself. Realize that you don't have all the answers, that you're going to make mistakes, that you're going to screw up. I've had to do that and realize it a million times. Uh, I, I am not good at making decisions. And I'm not just talking about these surface decisions, but like decisions on my life. I always make dumb ones, ones that hurt me or the people around me in some way, shape or form, or that, that make my future, uh, take more baggage into my future. And I don't want to do that. I want to trust the Lord and trust the creator of life that he knows a little bit more about life than I do and drop all of my wants and desires and say, God, fill me with your desires. Fill me with your wants and I will walk that that path however you have for me. And I want to speak that into people's lives and so that people don't feel shame. Shame is not something that we were meant to feel. I remember hearing Christine Kane speak one time at a church that I was going to in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. I went to I attended Life Church Fort Smith while we were out there, and Christine Kane was the guest speaker one week, and she had mentioned at the end of Genesis two how it ends. It talks about God creates Adam and Eve, and there's this just beautiful creation. Everything's been created right at this point, and all the animals have been created, and man and woman's been creative therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed that's how genesis chapter 2 ends they were not ashamed they felt no shame right and then in genesis 3 it goes directly in to the fall of man it says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And it talks about how he tempted them into sin. And immediately after that, you see shame in their life where they go and hide themselves with fig leaves. Where when God says "Why?" to Adam, asks Adam, why did you eat of this? And he points the blame on Eve. He says, well, this woman that you gave me. And then he asks Eve, why did you do this? And she said, well, you know, this, this snake... The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she points the blame on the serpent, which is she's really pointing it on God, and Adam's really pointing it on God to this woman that you gave me, right? And and the woman saying the serpent deceived me, like your creation, God is what deceived me. And so then they're feeling shame, and they start blaming, shame and blame. That's the life that we live. But the picture that I'm trying to show here is that. At the end of Genesis 2 was the end of all creation and before sin came into the world. It was that kind of that peak, that climax point where creation and everything was beautiful and before the fall happened. And the last thing it says is the man and wife are both naked 
and were not ashamed, or they felt no shame. We were not meant to be creatures that feel shame. That our sins are not meant to make us feel shame. Now, there's a difference in shame and conviction because the Holy Spirit will absolutely convict us and say, hey, that's wrong. You don't want to do this. But then I think what the enemy does there is takes that, takes that conviction and where the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, turn from that. Don't do this. You don't want to do this. It's not good. Or why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. Hey, now let's focus back on the Lord. That's what the that's what uh, the Holy Spirit's trying to do. He's trying to convict us and say, hey, come on. Come on. Let's focus back on the Lord. But the enemy takes that and then just pounds it into the ground. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, the enemy then says, yeah, you can never do it right. You're an idiot. You're so stupid. You're never going to do anything right. God doesn't love you. He's turned away from you. You've, you've sinned too many times. You've failed too many times. Might as well just give up because God can't love you. God doesn't love you. There's no way. And so that's what shame does. And then it gets us into this depression and this awful mindset. And it, it counteracts what God says is when he, when, he, when he tells us, hey, think on everything that's pure and lovely and wonderful and holy and true. Like, think on those things. But the enemy then takes our conviction and then turns it into shame and makes us think on everything that's opposite of that, everything that's a lie and dirty and dark and, and discouraging. So it's crazy how our sins can... The God will convict us for our sins, but then the enemy will take us into more sins of feeling shame and and more things that that are against God. So I don't know. That's kind of my message for today, and I, I really hope that 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 this message and or the poem hits you today because it is a truth that is so important. And if you know somebody who struggles with shame, if you know somebody who just doesn't think that they could possibly ever be loved by God again, I pray that you will send them this this episode. If you know somebody who is a believer, who has done some things and don't feel like God will ever love them and call them back to the ministry again because they've screwed up too many times, I pray that you'll send this to them because it's just not the case. God is still pursuing. And if you've got breath in your lungs and that's God giving you that gift because He has a purpose for you still. That's, that's an extra gift of grace that He's given you, is that breath in your lungs, that beat in your heart. That is a gift of grace from God saying, I still have a purpose for you because I haven't stopped it yet. I've still given you life, so there's a purpose, there's a reason for you living. So I pray this is encouraging to you and that God hits you in a powerful way. Man, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, tuning in each and every week. And I will talk to you next week. I'm excited to see what God has then. I will be living in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan next week. So that's super exciting. So, um, yeah, if anybody's from the Detroit area or has any um, suggestions about the Detroit area, please put them on my Facebook because I'd love to know about the area a little bit. So thank you guys so much. Much love. God bless. Talk to you next week.